Hello, and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast. Today, we've got a fascinating topic for you. We're going to be talking a bit about how to have hard conversations. Now, before we get started, I want to introduce the two gentlemen that have joined me today. On my right, I've got Ron Huntley. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Dan. And on my left is sitting none other than Father James Mallon. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Dan. So today, guys, we've got a really interesting topic, having hard conversations. I am curious, what does it mean to you when we talk about having a hard conversation? What is a hard conversation? Those are the ones I don't want to have <laughs> predominantly. I'd say for me, they're when I have a particular outcome in mind or, or desired behavior and I'm not seeing it. And uh, I have to have, I have to let somebody know who, who thinks maybe they are on the right page or going down the right path. And that's a difficult conversation because uh, there's two types of people sometimes I have those conversations with. One, people that I really trust and are doing a great job but need to bring correction. And then sometimes we have the wrong people in the wrong positions and uh, I have to talk to them about maybe moving on. So sometimes that can be difficult. So, so. it's a bit of a range. What about you for Well, I think father? a difficult conversation can sometimes be around uh, particular behaviors at, at different times and things that introduce tension. You know, if mm -hmm. you think about it, any relationship, anyone who's ever been in a relationship with another human being knows that it, we're all weak. We're fallen human beings and we are sinful. And the point is that that sinfulness, that brokenness comes into every single relationship, whether mm. you're married, you're going out with someone, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a relationship with a parent, a sibling, whatever mm. it is, every single relationship, if you care about it, you know the need at times to have a difficult conversation to kind of do a bit of a course correction. And that difficult conversation can be two-way. It can be addressing something in that other person's behavior. It can also be Addressing something in my behavior, <laughs> you know, like, you know, if you're, Absolutely. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're, you're praying and maybe you're reading scripture or something and it's like the word of God, just, you know, that two edged sword, it goes, oh, it gets you right in the gut it's, and you, you, you're, you're convicted of your own sin, you know, and you, and you're like, ah, oh, I have to go and have a difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. And that difficult conversation involves me going and saying, I messed up. Mm. I need you to forgive me. I'm sorry. So a difficult conversation can go both ways, but the heart of it is being in relationship. Anything that involves relationships will involve a difficult conversation. And there's conversation. a lot of relationships in the church. So let's talk a little bit about why. What, what prompts the difficult conversations? What are the things that, that cause them? What are the circumstances of difficult conversations? Why is it important to talk about? Well, I, I think we must begin with the context. The fact is what we do as church, mm. in church, is the most important thing in the world. I mean, if, if you had a business and you put a lot of stake, imagine you put your house up and everything, you invested in your business, and uh, you had hired someone who you thought was going to do a great job, and you realized that, wow, this person is, is totally not on the same page as me. They're going off in a different direction, or they're, they're going about their duties in the right direction, but they're doing it in a way that if I keep letting them go, all the employees are going to quit. Mm, uh, would yep. you sit back and do nothing? No, I think anyone, even the most timid of, of people would say, I've got to intervene, I've got to do something because it's so important. But what's more important than the mission of the local church? Well, that's really well said because I think that kind of lies at the heart of why people maybe don't have difficult conversations because we just get in the zone of doing church and going through the motions and it's good enough and we just set the bar so low. But you're right, when we really attach ourselves to the purpose and why we're doing what we're doing and that God wants salvation for souls and he wants to bring people into a relationship with him now to transform their lives, boy, that gives a real sense of urgency and purpose to how we set ourselves up, how we measure yeah. and our own expectations within an organization and particularly the parish. I think we've got to recognize 
that what is over and against this human brokenness. I mean, there's, there's human brokenness, but there's also communication, you know, and com- failures to communicate because often, you know, perception is reality for people. And, and if I'm talking to you, Ron, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm filtering what you say to me through my experience and, and my prejudices my, and my presumption. So we can never presume. And I think one of the things that I've been guilty of in my own leadership in the past is I presume you know what I'm talking about. I presume you got it. Right. And just because someone nods and smiles and says they've got it doesn't mean they've got it. And sometimes, of course, you, you look at what's happening, you're thinking, well, I got a feeling they didn't quite get it. Or maybe I didn't get it. Maybe I didn't get the communication right. So that's, you know, the, that breaking communication or that difficulty in communication is another reason why we have to do it. But the other thing is that human tendency to avoid difficult situations. Mm. I mean, we're calling this topic today hard conversations or difficult conversations because it's hard. <laughs> it's so difficult. I Every mean, time. <laughs> I mean, I would rather just totally deny that there's any problem whatsoever and think, well, it might eventually fix itself, but generally mm. it doesn't fix itself. There's a mistake, isn't it? I've been guilty of the exact same thing but hoping it'll take care of itself or go away or they'll figure it out. Or maybe if I give some nonverbal, like if we're not direct and we just maybe start avoiding eye contact or avoiding that person yeah. or avoiding that. If, if I can be <laughs> passive aggressive enough, uh, I'm sure they'll understand what's going on. <laughs> they'll quit sooner or later. Oh my gosh. They'll change the behavior. Okay, I'm, I'm reminded of a story and I've got to tell it. I can't hold it back because I, I used to work for a fella and uh, we, we, had, we had a bunch of volunteers working with us and one of them he really didn't like. And um, sure enough, the guy showed up to our office one day and he wanted he just wanted to sit down and do some work in our office. And he was a volunteer and, and that was an OK thing. Um, but my boss at the time, uh, he really he didn't want to talk to him like he didn't want to engage him. He was mm. he was trying to figure out how to get him to stop volunteering. Right. Which is a tricky thing. Anyway, so he 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 hid himself in his own office. He locked the door, hid himself in there, told the, uh, the admin assistant, don't let him know I'm here because I don't want him to, you know, to corner me and talk to me. Anyway, so the, the volunteer sat down and he stayed for one hour, two hours. By the third hour, my boss was sending emails to everybody saying, can you please get him out of here? I really need to pee. <laughs> so it was hilarious. So eventually uh, we, we did get him to, to move on. But he was so, so set on not having that hard conversation that he didn't want to, to leave the room to try and like, but, you know, the, the crazy thing is it's not just the, the good of the organization or the good of the mission of the church. But you're also talking about the good of the individual, because generally in my experience, I mean, sometimes people are not doing such a great job and they don't really get it. Sometimes, especially in staffing situations, Mm. people know deep down and they struggle with their own sense of self-respect and dignity and self-satisfaction. You can see people's confidence plummeting and it's it becomes like the emperor's new clothes. You know, it's like, you know, and I know, and we're just all pretending that issue's not there. But the question is, do we want the good of that person? Yeah. You know, do we really desire the good of that person? And are we really willing uh, to put our own need to be comfortable and to be liked and to, to avoid conflict to get in the way of helping that person be everything that God wants them to be? I, I gotta, you just told a funny story. This is a true story. Uh, am I allowed to tell a booger story on this? <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is a true story. It's very good. Yep. Okay, so what, Boogers, what, this is it. When I was a seminarian, <laughs> I was doing, uh, I was actually in, in prison for, for three months uh, as a chaplain. <laughs> And uh, okay, you definitely said that the last did time. Did I say that last yes. time? Yeah, it's like it's like now your only go-to story. Oh, I was, man, I was gonna have to it's the cross one joke he whips out of, of parties, right? Of funny one-liners. <laughs> but anyway, we we had actually had a weekend break, and we went on uh, a couple of the students in this program. We went away on a weekend, and we actually it involved going 
I don't want to give too much detail so to avoid mm. uh, any possible way to identify the person involved, but we went to a different province and the person who was organizing the program was friends with the premier of that province. And this person actually took us to, to a restaurant and to the theater. And this person was a very a wonderful person, uh, very dignified. And at one point, we were sitting at the table and, she, and this person was sitting across from me. And I looked up into my horror. I realized oh, no. that this person had a, a, a booger oh. on the outside of, of, of the oh. nose. And I had this absolute dilemma. I was like, what do I do? What, what do I do? Do I... I was like, it was the most embarrassing thing. Like, this person was such a wonderful person. And what do I do? Do I, do I ignore it and pretend it's not there and let this person walk around greeting people with a booger on, on, on the nose? Or do I kind of, kind of, you know what I mean? Like, do, what do I do? Motion to your nose. And, and to, my, your to my nose, shame, yeah. I chickened out. And I did nothing. And at oh. one point, this person went to the bathroom and came back and it was gone. So I'm sure that there was a moment of great embarrassment for this person. Mm. The point is, what was motivating me it was my own discomfort and my own fear Not his rather than what was for the good of that person. And yeah. I think, I mean, that's kind of a kind of a crass story, I suppose, but you translate that into real life and, and it's the same principle. Mm. Uh, do we give way to our own desire to avoid conflict and to be comfortable or do we really, really desire the good of the other person? Well, it's funny. You're so right because the other piece too is are we willing to invest? Because difficult conversations have their best outcomes when we're willing to make deposits in others or to your point when we put others first and don't let our fear, our discomfort get in the way. And it takes a lot of generosity of spirit, of time. Um, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've, I've sometimes I'll have to have difficult conversations with personalities that I'm not comfortable with, I don't like. Like there's some people in this world that don't like me and, and I can struggle with some personalities. And those are the ones that I have to spend extra time in prayer. I have to ask for extra humility. I've got to filter my own motives mm. that much more because I don't want to be a jerk. And, yeah. you know, we can have difficult conversations where we can get our outcome and kill a relationship. And if we don't like somebody, that's a dangerous place to go because I can become self-righteous or I can judge my, myself based on my intent and just focus on the other person's impact without caring for their soul or their personality or their dignity. And I always have to remind myself that I want this person to be able to save face, to have their dignity, and I need to care for people even when it's difficult. I think, too, uh, one of the things that in, in, in church world uh, that we can often be guilty of is what I call the sin of niceness. <laughs> you know, we want to be nice. And, mm. you know, I've often experienced this dilemma myself. I mean, as a pastor, as a priest, my, my pastoral instinct is to comfort people, is to care for people, is to say, they're there, it's going to be okay. And you, you find yourself, you're a pastor, but you're also the boss in a sense. I mean, mm. the ultimate, at the end of the day, you've got to make a tough decision. I remember years and years ago at a parish far, far away, the first time I ever had to let a staff member go. And it was a situation where this person was just not performing and and people knew it. And, and I was just avoiding it. And when it came to the conversation, it killed me because uh, it was it went against every fiber of my being to mm. actually do this. It was it was so, so difficult to do. Often under under the, the sense that we've got to be nice, uh, we avoid making those tough decisions and having those difficult conversations. We need to acknowledge that if if we wait for a moment where it somehow it's going to be easy to do, we're never going to do it. It's, it's always going to be difficult. It's always going to be difficult, and it's always going to be painful. Right. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not about it, letting nice get in the way of, of, of the challenge. Right? Yeah, that's right. And the important thing, too, is if I'm a team member, I need leadership to have those difficult conversations. 
because it has an impact on me. It has an impact on the teams. And if, if leaders aren't willing to have difficult conversations, it takes down the entire team. And in fact, sometimes you can have great people leave because yeah. organizations or ministries lack leadership. Yeah. And I think it's one of our most important so, things to get our head around. So so what I'm hearing is that there's different audiences for this kind of thing, like right, depending on the particular role you have, because like I have different roles and some in some organizations, I play a leadership role, you know, where I have staff and, and, and my, my job is to offer difficult conversations to them, I suppose, on occasion. But then there's other roles I have where I'm not the leader, where I'm supporter and I'm, I've got a, a totally different relationship there. Am, am I right in understanding then mm. that that totally changes the, the way we would go about and, and how we would talk about? Uh, Absolutely. That's a good point. I mean, you have a bishop, that's your support. And that, that you have to report to. I have you, uh, Father James, and you're right. I have staff that I work with as well. And and it's it's very different. <laughs> I, I think there's a different dynamic to conversation if you're talking to a staff member. I mean, obviously, there's a different yep. expectation if you're actually employed. Uh, we've got ministry leads. You know, we've got different types of ministry leads, those who are really suited to their position. Others, the problem is that maybe they're not suited and you have... You know, how do you have a difficult conversation with a, a parishioner who's maybe just going around complaining and causing mm-hmm. bad blood and division? Or or how do you even speak to a, a brother priest, uh, another me- member of the, of the clergy? Yeah, or how does a parishioner speak to me and have a difficult conversation or parishioners speak to staff? So uh, I don't. those are some of the ones I can think of, Ron. Well, it's interesting because... You know, I've been in several parishes over the course of my lifetime, and we all have opinions like the why the Maple Leafs aren't doing so well. We all have different opinions of that. Uh, however, a lot of times people won't approach people in leadership. They won't approach the staff. They won't approach the priest. Now, don't get me wrong. I know you get plenty of complaints being in leadership and as a priest, but there are some people that have really interesting and valuable perspectives that just won't bring them so, up. So let me ask you this. Is is it always right to have the difficult conversation, or are there times when it, it makes sense to avoid it? Is there a time for everything, or is there really are we called always to step in there and, and have that conversation? Okay, that's a good question because I don't think we need to approach every topic that we don't yeah. agree with because that would just be irritating. <laughs> but I think the Holy Spirit will convict us of discussions that we need to have, and it's always for the good of the relationship, the health yeah. of the relationship, or the health of the organization. Not because we have a difference of opinion. I don't like the way you comb your hair. I wish you'd have it on this side. I know that's a difficult conversation for you, but I needed to say it because that's not worth talking about. I think that's a really good point, Ron, because uh, we've got to remember that that human brokenness that sometimes necessitates difficult conversations is also working on us. You know, there's our own pride, our own ego, our own irritation factor. These conversations need to be carefully discerned. And we need to pray. Like I had a, recently had to have a difficult conversation, and I really felt very strongly the need to just really pray, to, to sit before the Lord and say, Lord, let this be guided by you. You know, let, let me really be in touch with you here. Uh, so I think discerning which topics to go after. You know, you yeah. don't want to die on every hill. Not every battle is worth, is worth fighting. And it's so, a matter of discerning which are the ones that if I avoid... Uh, the, the cost is just too high. So then I guess my question would be then when? When is the right moment? I mean, like in your booger story, probably the right moment was when you saw the booger, right? That would have been the moment to... to... Yeah, what I should have done was just kind of like caught the person's eye and made a little hand gesture. That would have solved it. Yeah, right. So the, the point was there was a time. And yes. so it, I, I imagine on all these instances, there's probably a right time or at least a, a sense of it. So wh- how do we know when that time is? When is Can it I right give you an example uh, from what I'm doing in, in my ministry role here at St. Benedict Parish? Is we're 
meeting with all of the ministry leads for the first time. A lot of them were unsupported because three churches came together as one. And so I'm really spending some time getting to know what they do, how they do it, the health of their ministry and everything else. We also take some time to talk about a healthy culture versus a toxic culture and the need to hold each other accountable to health. And what that's really allowed me to do when I'm asking questions, and it's just a sense of curiosity and learning on my part, and I think in leadership we need to have that curiosity so that we can understand the situation and the people. But when I'm hearing things that I think might be off, I kind of flag it as I continue to actively listen to people, and then I can come back to it. And I think the sooner we have difficult conversations, the easier it is to work through issues. And it has to be done, I believe, in a spirit of curiosity and learning from my perspective as somebody in leadership, because then it allows me to form opinions based on their intent. And it's oftentimes when you do that, when you invest in people by actively listening, you're building a stronger relationship. And when you deal with difficult topics in the context of a relationship, it's a better outcome. And so when I find things that I need to deal with, the sooner I can deal with them, the better it is for the relationship and the organization. Now, with that said, I've failed miserably in some areas. Well, I think part of it is, is that approach of saying, maybe this is getting into the, the how of it, but tell me how you understand this. That tell, me, tell me why it is that you do what you do, because I might not be understanding. I think we need to listen to that person first before we come down. But when you talk about when, to, to come back to the question of when, I, I think if, if we've discerned that this is a, an important enough issue, you can't let it drag. And we must recognize that human tendency is like all things, the, the tasks we don't like to do, we're going to procrastinate. We're going to put it off and put it off. And, and what I've learned to do recently is I'll, I'll get the, an appointment booked to my calendar. It uh, might not be for two, three, four weeks or whatever, but I get it in there, and I know that that day is looming. Uh, I know it's. I know it, it cannot be avoided. So that way, I've I've taken care of it, and I know that it that it's coming. It's so kind of like I, a dentist appointment, right? You schedule it, exactly, and you go, "Oh, exactly. I know it's coming, so, but it's necessary." So we, we've, you've got to act on it right away, in a sense. And let's be honest, some things, if they're really, really serious, you can't wait two, three weeks. There's some circumstances you've got to act right away. But what is key in this is that your when is not so soon that you're still acting out of anger, in a sense. You can be angry. We've all had those moments where, uh, (laughs) just last week, I saw something and it really, really annoyed me. And one of our staff members said, Father James, don't speak to that person right now. And, <laughs> and I went and spoke to the person anyway. Oh. <laughs> so it's it's those things. It's like, okay, my, I know in my brain the right thing perhaps, but I don't always do it right. You know, mm-hmm. it's, but it, overall it is best to be calm down, not to act in the, in the heat of the moment. That's usually not a good thing. And, and uh, I hope one day to be able to, master that myself. I haven't quite gotten there, but but somewhere in between. Don't postpone it too long. Uh, don't put it off indefinitely, but make sure you're not acting out of frustration or anger. Yeah, the emotional thing's interesting, because I think, you know, personally, I, I'm more knee-jerk, and like, I, I just need to deal with the problem now. Uh, but I, I, I think you're right. Scheduling, uh, dealing with the problem is probably a, a smarter way of, of going about it. 
and your schedule I know is like mine and that scheduling it means it's going to be weeks out so I will have had time to cool down so uh, so there's a lot of benefit I think in terms of Mm. creating that space and the other thing that gives you time Dan is to consult with somebody whose opinion you appreciate because I find a lot of times bouncing things off Father James or maybe somebody that uh, is very wise helps me to gain a different perspective Mm -hmm. and every time I come at it from a better place than when I do it on my own. When I do it on my own, I have limited resources, more limited than most probably. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I do that with my wife, um, who obviously, you know, it's the kind of thing that I would have, you know, late at night after the kids are in bed. That's the kind of conversation I might have with, yeah. with Laura. And um, what I find is that two things usually happen in that conversation. So, I, you know, I'm having a, I need to talk to somebody. There's a problem, blah, blah, blah. Two things will happen. One, I get really, really agitated. Everything goes right back up to that boiling level, right? Like I go right back to where I was in terms of, oh, this is driving me nuts and there's needs. I need to talk to them. Uh, but then afterwards I find, okay, you know, I've sorted all my thoughts out and everything just, for me anyways, it just sinks right back down to sort of a, a, a nice dull roar as well, opposed to- you gain to perspective, the, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And anyway, so I'm lucky in the fact that my wife gives me the space to have those moments and doesn't judge me too harshly uh, in, in those moments. We need that, don't we? We need to be able to rant and unload because emotionally we do get attached to some of these situations because we're passionate about them. And we sometimes do need to unload. And so thank goodness for your wife and friends <laughs> that, that my wife. <laughs> can listen to us without judging us. Because <laughs> if we talk to the people that we need to address like that, no good can come of that. So how do you handle the actual conversation? So, okay, you're, you, you've nailed it. You know, you've scheduled it. You're going into that meeting, uh, whatever it looks like. How, how do you actually handle it? Well, I think the first thing is that the best way to have difficult conversations is in, is in person. Uh, I've mm-hmm. done the email thing. It generally doesn't go down too well. I've done the telephone thing. It doesn't go down too well. I mean, telephone is better than email, but uh, I mean, communication is so much of communication. So, is text bi- was a bad idea. Yes, <laughs> te- you know, the text messaging. <laughs> Your services emails, are no longer required. Uh, <laughs> Damn. Uh, over the phone, it, it's not good. Best in person because communication is is everything from our body language to the tone of voice, which yeah. of course doesn't come through on an on an email. You know. I think, what is it to say, 60% of communication is body language. It's so even higher, the, yeah. These difficult, the, the more difficult the conversation, have it in person, even if it means it might not happen right away, have it in person. It's the best way to do it. Generally, if you're going to even write an email uh, as well, it's, it's best to wait until you've cooled off. I think we've all had a situation where we sit down and we yeah. write out a response, and it's probably oh, best yeah. to <laughs> hold off on sending that email. We've got something around our staff is we've, we've got an agreement that that just simply will not happen, that if there's tension in our staff and there's there are disagreements and thing, things that need to be talked about that it's not done by email, That it, and people will wait and cool off. So you guys first. have like a policy that, you know, we, have like an, we don't make that mistake 24 ever. hours. We have an ethos statement thing that we read uh, once a month at meetings that, that basically reminds us that this is how we've agreed to deal with these things so that if we don't do it that way, we can call each other out on, on that as well. So, but, but I'll just say one, one last thing, and then I can turn it over to Ron, but one of my favorite scripture passages is Ephesians 4.15, where St. Paul says, it can be translated, speaking the truth in love, we grow into all things in Christ who is our head, speaking the truth in love. But the Greek is actually a participle out of the verb to truth. So it literally translates truthing in love, to truth mm. in love. And we don't have a verb to truth, but it's it has the connotation of speaking the truth, acting in the truth, whatever it is. But think about the, that balance between truth and love. You know, often we, we talked about the tendency to deny and to avoid difficult conversations. Well, basically, out of love, I avoid the truth. 
But then we can also use the truth and club someone to death with the truth. We can seriously hurt and tear someone apart. What we say might be true, but if it's not delivered in love, it's a weapon. It's a mm-hmm. dangerous thing. So it's that balance of speaking the truth in love. And that's, I think in the end, that's, um, that's a supernatural thing to get that thing right. That's why we need to begin with prayer. We need to pray for the person who's driving us crazy or whom we've got the problem with. They might not be driving us crazy, but we know that there's a a problem. So we need to pray for that person so that we are authentically coming to that person with a heart of love. Like, I really care for that person, but I'm not going to back down on the truth. There's no easy way to do it, but that's something that always comes to mind for me, speaking the truth in love. We grow into all things in Christ. Right. So what about you, Ron? I mean, are you an in-person man too, or are you uh, making a 9 p.m. phone call about it? I go into the confessional behind the board there, and I get them to sit on one side, and I say, (laughs) avoid eye contact. That's a difficult difficult conversation room, right? I mean, that's what we call it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, No, it, it absolutely has to be in person. And I find, too, that... If I'm really clear about what the outcome needs to be of the conversation, it puts me in a better space to listen. You mean clear with yourself. Clear with myself. What's the outcome I want out of this conversation? And a lot of times I can make assumptions. And so what I try to do is clear up the assumptions that I might be making early in the conversation. And so, yes, to do it face-to-face. And a lot of times it's in a coaching role. I'm not usually not having difficult conversations with people I don't have relationships with in ministry. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes it's in it's in the context of coaching someone to help them achieve their goals. And so, yeah, doing it in person, being clear about the outcome that I would like to accomplish, and then having a spirit of curiosity and listening gives me the opportunity oftentimes to change my own perspective. I might have mm-hmm. clear ideas going in, yes. and if I listen really well, I can hear their heart yes. and see their intent, and it changes my disposition mm-hmm. towards them and oftentimes my understanding of the situation. And so I need to have a clear understanding of what I want to accomplish. And sometimes when I come out of that, it might look different than it looked going in, but it's still important for me to have that. And then the most important thing too, though, is that I still want to maintain this relationship. I want to have a great relationship. Even if I'm inviting somebody to move on from one ministry into something else, it's okay. Like, that's okay. But I need to have uh, the end in mind in the beginning. It allows me to listen, to clear up uh, assumptions, Mm -hmm. and then move towards continuing to maintain that relationship when I'm finished. And my position often changes in that moment. So you still remain flexible. eh? So even though you know what you want going in, you're you're willing to... Because I'm not half as smart as I think I am. I'll tell you that right now. And when I (laughs) allow the Lord to give me a soft heart and That's to right. listen with my with both of my ears and not just worry about what I want to say when I can experience that grace cuz God's in that other person mm. you know it's not like I'm holier than thou and that's just somebody that I need to to work through not yeah. even close it's I'm often in the wrong actually and so if I can have that grace to listen my perspectives change and we can often come to a better solution than the one I would have come to on my own. But I need to be willing to have that conversation. I, I think every every difficult conversation, you know, again, laying down that groundwork of speaking the truth in love, it can't be a one-sided thing. You've got however it's done, as we speak, we need the other person to listen and then we need to shut up and listen to that person speak to us and, and respond or, or help us to understand. It's got to be a dialogue. 
Uh, if it's just a monologue, it hasn't taken place properly. Yeah, it's well, a lecture, not a It's not a difficult conversation. conversation. It's yeah. a difficult lecture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got a question for us, too, to think about, because we're talking about it is when we initiate a difficult conversation, but has anybody initiated a difficult conversation with you, and what was that like? Oh my How God. did you receive it, and what did that dynamic look like and feel like, and did you feel good when you came out of the conversation? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. no, yeah. we're, we're talking about it is when we're initiating it, and sometimes we need to be... Well, not sometimes. We also need to be willing to receive a difficult conversation. I find there's a lot of signals around that kind of thing. Like if someone pulls me aside because there's a thing, right? There's something they need to talk to me about. Right. You can see it almost right away, like in the body language, the tone of voice. There's it, uh, Obviously, I'm, I'm thinking more of you know times where, where staff have approached me. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, you can kind of see it coming. And I know in my experience what I've, what I've done, and I'm not sure it's the right thing to do, but what I, I really just, I, I flip into the listening role. I need to, to lean into whatever is causing them to feel the need. And I, I just sink right into that listen and really try to understand where they're at. Uh, because, I mean, you can't go into that kind of a conversation knowing what you want to get out of it because you haven't... You didn't see you, it coming. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, so you have to go in there. And when I, my approach is really just hardcore listening when I've been approached from, mm-hmm. from someone else. How about you, Father James? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think recently of... A couple of difficult conversations. They weren't really difficult. They weren't that that hard. But uh, just around you know initiatives and, and different things, and, and the staff feeling you know pushed and stressed, and and uh, having one of the staff come to me on behalf of others saying, you know, uh, we're we're going to ask for a break in this because we're kind of redlining, and and I didn't see it, you know, because mm-hmm. my my default thing is like. Let's just keep going. And unless someone tells me there's a problem, I'm going to presume there's no problem. That's generally how, how I work. So I need people who will say, uh, uh, actually, actually, there is a bit of a problem here. And but personally, I, I, I don't find those difficult. In fact, I so appreciate that. I mean, even, you know, in the past when, I, when I've been in a hiring process to hire staff, I'm looking for staff who are not going to be yes, father, no father, three, three bags, full father. I want, <laughs> I want, I want people who are going to push back. I want people to get. Yeah, you've the, changed over time. Like, well, everyone <laughs> changes over time. I, I've known you long enough to know that this was not the way you always were. Yeah. Uh, there was a development that's happened well, with you. God, God willing, there always will be because we're always growing and, and learning. So that's what I've come to appreciate that, that, I, that I don't only appreciate it, I need it. I need right. people because mm-hmm. if, if, if I'm not going to have people who are willing to, to, to push back in a, in a respectful way, uh, then I'm going to make even more mistakes than I usually do. Yeah. No, Dan, that's hopefully a topic we'll be able to break open at some point in the future is how do you create a team that's going to make them bring the most out of you? Uh, because as, as a priest, I would think that's not an easy thing to do, and yet you have done it here. Some of the tr- changes that we've made in this church around our structure and our leadership style have really created a culture to have difficult conversations. Our senior leadership team, we have very mm. different opinions, different perspectives, and we don't leave that room until we hammer things out. And we embrace difficult mm. conversations. Can I say at this point, I think it's very important to distinguish whether you're talking about conversations with staff or ministry leads or, or uh, complaining parishioners, that it's one thing to disagree about what we would call strategy or tactics. It's another thing to disagree on vision. Because remember, vision mm-hmm. is that you know that the picture of the future that makes mm-hmm. us passionate. It's where we're headed. It's, it's the direction in which we're going. I would hope that once that's been established and kind of agreed on, that we need everyone rowing in the same direction because if, if you're in a canoe and half the half the team are rowing in a different direction, is it, you're going to be going nowhere. That's a disaster. So uh, really, I, I'm not very tolerant about disagreements around vision. 
sorry, I don't tolerate that. But disagreements about strategy, I, I, that is, how do we get there yep. in tactics? What do we do to get to where we're going? I, I not only expect disagreement, I welcome it. Like, mm-hmm. Because unless we, we get all the ideas on the table, we're not going to have the best results. And so when we talk about disagreements, we're often talking, at least in, in leadership context, we're talking about issues around strategy where, where there's, there's unity about the vision. And, mm-hmm. and that's really a safety net. Like if we, if we know that we're talking to someone who is completely on board with the vision, then that creates freedom to have difficult conversations and disagreements around how we get it there, does. strategy and tactics. So I've got a question for you guys. What if you're, you know, you've, you've got the, the difficult question or the difficult conversation scheduled, uh, you show up for it, and you're sitting there or standing there with the person, and the whole thing goes south. Mm. What in the world do you do then? Well, well, <laughs> well, what do you mean go south? What does that mean? That the reaction's not right, that they're not sinking into what you're saying, that maybe they're resistant, or any possible ways that that, that, that conversation is not a healthy one anymore. Mm-hmm. If things have, have deteriorated, what, what, so how do you like it, it? You ends up like in a shouting match or something like that? or Well, I'm not presuming you'd be possible. shouting, but I mean, let's presume that it's possible, I guess. Uh, but let's say the other person's not taking it. Well, if I can preface that with the fact that I think sometimes we can have difficult conversations with people that we have great relationships with and that we're invested in. And my guess is 99 times out of 100, that will have a positive Mm -hmm. outcome if your intent is to invest in them and love them and bring them to a place that's going to help them be more effective or a better person, whatever it is Mm -hmm. that you have to address. But sometimes we have difficult conversations with difficult people who we may have either a limited relationship with or a strained relationship with. And I think we know who those people might be. And when we're going into a situation like that, our planning has to be far more scrupulous because we have to plan what are we going to do if they start shouting? What if they? What are they going to do if they threaten to leave or stop giving? It's or the quintessential go- take your girlfriend to the restaurant to break up with her kind of thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not a good idea. But th- that's a fair question, and I think part of it is uh, – so, so let's start with the first one if we could because I have a great example of that. If we're having a difficult conversation with someone we are invested in, have a good relationship with, but maybe they break down into tears, Maybe they're dealing with some things personally that we didn't see coming, and they really have a difficult time with it. And for that, my experience has been stay with it and kind of lean in, not pull away. Because sometimes when we get a response we're not looking for, we go, ah! It's like putting our hand on a burner that's hot, (laughs) that's been turned off. We pull away. But I don't think we do pull away when we have a good relationship with people. I think if they're hurting or, or they respond in ways that are maybe overly emotional, with anger or what have you. But if we have that relationship, we can lean in and listen. Mm-hmm. However, if we have a difficult conversation with a difficult person or a person we have a difficult relationship with, that needs to be far more clear going in. And my experience is I really have to know the outcome. And I have to separate the behavior from the person. Always. Because if always, I make it yeah. personal, and they're probably looking for it to be personal, yes. because we might personally clash And if I make it personal with them, they'll come right back with personality. But if I say to them, you know what, my goal here is health, health of your ministry or health of where we're going or the relationships. And so can we agree? So we'd have to agree. So I'm just thinking this through as we're talking about it. Find the common ground for health. And this is a behavior that I've seen. So name the behavior 
and say that that behavior, do you see how that's destructive? Yeah. Do you see that how that yeah. has to keep, stop? Keep it about behavior, never about the person. And the thing is, too, if you realize you've got a difficult person, it's always advisable to have another person with you in on the conversation. Don't go in on it alone because you're going to, it's like, even if you win, you lose. Yeah. You know, if you think about it in, in that way. But I think we need to be clear about what going south means. I mean, what is, every leader has to say, what does going south mean for me? Does it mean that it's not going to finish with, you know, with, with harp music and hugs and tears and joy and weeping? Uh, you find a lot it, of your meetings in that way? Yeah, some do, some do. The, 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 the clouds part and, you know, the, the music from, from heaven. Get our audio but, engineer to bring a, a you know, harp next time we have a If something ends with someone storming out and quitting the parish, as horrible and as painful as that might be, it may actually be a win. Right. Because um, if you've got cancer and you've got to have surgery and have something removed, that's horrible, that's painful, but it's a win for the body. It's a win. And that's just the reality in any human organization, especially the church, which in from a sociological perspective, from a human perspective, is a volunteer organization. People are free to take their marbles and go home. And if there is a cancer within the body, even if it's messy and the person leaves, I mean, what we're called to do is to minimize the damage as much as we can and, and act in integrity. Again, it comes back to the doing the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. Now, I would define, for me, going south would be if the person gets emotional and upset and attacks me personally, and I respond by saying, oh yeah, well, your mother's ugly too. And, <laughs> and, you know, and if I respond by attacking that person and saying, and, and I'm no, no longer motivated by love, I'm motivated out of, yeah. uh, out of pride or anger or, or whatever, to me, that's going south. Mm-hmm. And if that happens... If that's what happens in a conversation, then I need, even if the person is taking their marbles and going home, I need to repent and I need to go to that person and say, I'm not apologizing for the outcome, uh, Mm -hmm. but I didn't do a good job in this and I ask you to forgive me for that. I'm not necessarily saying, uh, forgive me for bringing up this conversation. Uh, I'm not apologizing for that. But So I come back to this, that every person needs to be sure what does going south mean? What what does a, a failure mean? Because sometimes what I might think is a failure is in fact not a failure. It can be as messy and painful as it is, it could be the best possible outcome. Well, you know, I think too, it brings to mind the gospel of John, unless you eat my body and, and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And and all these people that really loved him and cared for him got up and left. And to me, that's a crisis. That's going south. <laughs> You're losing your followers, man. And he looked at his closest guys and said, do you going to leave too? Yeah. Like... It's wow! The, it's the only place in the gospel we hear that his disciples turned away and no longer followed him. And what's Jesus' response? He doesn't water it down. He turns to the twelve and says, "What about you?" And of course, it's Peter who says, "Lord, <laughs> we don't have a clue what you're talking about, but we've come to know that you're the the, the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and mm. we're going to follow you no matter what." Mm. So I think that gets back to your thing about mission too, Father James. We need to be crystal clear about mission. And sometimes difficult situations with difficult people, sometimes that's around the mission. And when that comes to a head, they're probably going to leave. And that's unfortunate. And yet it's it happens and it can bring health. Yeah. One thing we always have to keep in mind that whenever you bring clarity to what you're doing to your purpose in a parish, uh, whenever, you, whenever you focus, you will always attract people. And you'll always repel people. And that's actually not a bad thing.
Right. So one of the things you said, Ron, was um, that Father James built the team that makes sense. And I, I don't want to go too deep down that, but other than to say, I think it probably takes a high degree of, of self-awareness in order to, to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with the right people. So my question, my question to you is, is there ever a time uh, that you need to have a difficult conversation with yourself? Are there times when you have to perhaps even schedule a difficult conversation with yourself? One of the things that I've heard said about me is I'm really hard on myself. I don't feel like I am. I know why people say that. I think part of it is because I expect a lot of myself. And so I always expect success. Like I expect to succeed. I expect to get great results. I expect to bring people to Christ. I expect the church to grow. I expect the staff to be healthy. I expect the church to be healthy. And so when it's not, I take a high degree of responsibility for a lot of those pieces. And people, some people will think that I'm being hard on myself, but I don't feel it that way. I, I just see things as a challenge. If other people have been able to accomplish things, then I think there's no reason we can't accomplish things. So I have a high degree of expectation. So it does cause me to have some really difficult conversations with myself. And I'd also like to add that hopefully, and I think I think we have, created a culture in the folks that I'm responsible in terms of staff, a culture of calling people to greatness. Because I've got people on my staff who call me out on a regular basis on things I'm not doing as well as I could be or the impact of some of the things I've said or my attitudes. And so we have a real culture of calling each other out, which I think is healthy. And so when I can't have those difficult conversations with myself, I'm surrounded by people who are willing to have them with me. (laughs) What about you, Father? Well, I'd say that to be spiritually healthy, you've got to constantly, I guess not not just having a conversation with yourself, but having a conversation with yourself and the Lord, you know, in prayer. I mean, a prayer ultimately should be should be a conversation that, that is this where we we're examining ourselves. I mean, as we grow in holiness, that the word holiness and wholeness come from the same root. I think that the the more we grow in holiness through through God's grace, the more human we become, the more whole we become, the more free we become, the more uh, we become liberated from from impulses that you know. I mean, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're thinking, "Why did I do that? Why did I react uh, the way I did? Why did I say what I said? Why did I do what I did?" Like, like mm-hmm. there's so many unconscious things that move us and shape us. And I think as we grow closer to the Lord in a, in a healthy way, we'll become more liberated from that. So mm-hmm. in the meantime, because <laughs> I'm not sure when we'll be completely free. Maybe when we <laughs> when we come come into the fullness of the kingdom. Uh, but in the meantime, there's an ongoing need for that difficult conversations uh, with, with ourselves. And conversations, in my experience, that are often prompted when, when someone comes to me, when someone challenges me in one way or another. And I just want to echo what Ron says about healthy teams where you have that trust and love. I mean, you're, you're, everyone's on the same page with regards to vision. There's a sense of trust and love and care for one another. I know that Ron provides that for me oftentimes because I sometimes am unaware of... of um, of the impact that I have on others, like I would be a lousy poker player because I can't, I, I'm not In that good. case, are you free on the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> One more uh, I say I did play poker once uh, for, it was like a penny poker thing and I, I did quite well actually. But anyway, uh, uh, I, I just, I can't, my, I, my face betrays what I'm thinking. I, mm-hmm. My eyes, my face, I, I can't hide it. And sometimes I hurt others and I have no idea I have no idea. Maybe the way that I've spoken or because I've got so much on my mind. And, and Ron is someone who quite often pulls me aside and very gently. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and he's, he's good at it. He always begins by building me up. He'll say something really nice, and then he'll <laughs> very gently slide in a thing. But you know when you talk, and it's like, you're so right. I, I, I didn't see it. I did not see it. And that always, that occasion, it results in two things. It makes me go back to the person. And secondly, it makes me come before the Lord and have right. that difficult conversation with myself and say, Lord, help me not to be so blind. You know, help me to see. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's what the Lord does. He's the light of the world. He removes our blindness. So help, help me to see, Lord. Well, look, guys, we've, we've, uh, I think we've explored this conversation for some time, and I'm glad to say we didn't go into any puns about it being a difficult conversation. Uh, so I wanted to thank everybody who's listening for, for joining us, and uh, I, I hope you'll join us again on future Divine Renovation podcasts. And Father James, if they want to uh, find you on all the places they can find you, where's the best way for people to follow you? Uh, probably Twitter, at FJ Mallon. Uh, yeah, that's the easy. That's that would be a good doorway into everything else. And Ron, mm-hmm. uh, my Twitter account are my initials and the parish, so it's R M H S B P. Excellent. All right, and guys. don't forget divinerenovation.net. Yes, uh, all things divine renovation, all the divinely renovating happening on the internet. All right, and thank you so much, guys, and I look forward to next time. Thanks, Anne. God bless. You.